0: Welcome to the Imago Day Eastside Gathering Podcast. Hey, Imago Day, it is so good to be with you on this Sunday in June. And we want to also wish you a happy Father's Day. Uh, for all of you who are tuning in online today, happy Father's Day. Uh, I just wanted to take a minute and recognize there are a number of you men that I see, that I recognize, that have worked really hard to be intentional, to leave a legacy of love and faith, uh, to instill Christ into your kids. And while you know you aren't perfect and you know you don't always get it right, that you lead by grace and love and forgiveness. And I just want to encourage you to keep walking by faith. That is the series that we're in, and that today we would just take a minute where we can appreciate you dads out there. So enjoy your tools and your ties or whatever else that you get today and uh, kick back and enjoy a day with your families. I want to kick off today with kind of a weird uh, passage for Father's Day. We're going to look at Abraham and the test where he sacrifices Isaac, uh, a super inappropriate text for Father's Day, but we're going to look at it anyways. We've been in this series uh, called Sojourning, Walking by Faith. We're looking at the reality that Genesis is our text, and Abram and Sarah are really the couple that show us what it means to walk by faith in a world that God is remaking in a land that is different. And in many ways, for all of us, God is remaking the world post-COVID. And in many ways, God is remaking the church. And what we've seen as we've learned this walk by faith is that God calls us into faith. And where he calls He covenants, and as he calls and covenants, then we respond, and that respond is a response to belief, and God shows up in those places, that he covenants himself, that he, he basically commits himself not only to fulfill his commitment to us, but also our commitment to him, and our job is to keep believing. And so we are introduced to this couple, Abram and Sarah, who at this time in the story are now Abraham and Sarah. And we have been on this journey with them where they meet this God, Yahweh, late in their life, in their 70s. And they leave their land, they leave their family, they leave their home, and they follow God into the place where he shows them. And that kicks off a journey which is a life of faith that is being cultivated, that is being shaped, that is being developed. They're cultivating nearness to God, attuning their hearts to God's voice, learning to listen. They're trusting God for his promises, and yet his promises are based on the impossibilities. They are promised offspring and children, yet they have no kids Uh, They are promised land and nations, yet they are camping in a foreign land. And these promises of God are continually repeated. God continues to promise and commit and covenant himself to Abraham. And finally, Isaac is born, and this gift of the promise, a son from their own flesh and blood is born and Isaac is given, and this promise that was an impossibility for so long, for 20 plus years, that they had heard about, that they had trusted in, they had never obtained, had come true, and and this son is born to them, and and then there is this moment where Abraham's faith is tested, and it is probably one of the most famous stories in all of Scripture. It is the culmination uh, or the pinnacle of Abraham's faith journey. It is where the story of his life in the narrative of Scripture it climaxes. It comes to its pinnacle. And it says this. It says, sometime later, God tested Abram." And he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain. I will show you. Now, there is something about this passage that is very familiar, and it harkens us back to the first call that, God made of Abram back in Genesis chapter 12, there is the call where God calls Abraham and he says, here I am. And then he says, I want you to leave your household, your land, and your home. Here he says, take your son, your only son, the son whom you love, and go to the mountain I will show you. And in Genesis 12, it's go to the land I will show you. And so there is is this connection to the first call that the writer wants us to hear, that there's familiarity here for Abraham. And yet this call is so different because he's been walking with God for a while now. And this call comes as a test of his faith. God has given him the promise, and now God is asking him to give the promise up. Now, for our modern ears, the idea of child sacrifice sounds so horrendous and horrific, and it is. And yet in that day, the gods of Canaan in the land where he was sojourning, they very much demanded child sacrifice. And yet we can't help but feel this crushing test that Abraham is experiencing, that the God who in his goodness covenants himself to fulfill not only his promises to Abraham, but also Abraham's side of the promises is now saying, this gift that I've given you, this son, this miracle child, I want you to sacrifice him. Abraham is being tested by God. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. And I hate the idea that that God would test Abraham or that God would test our faith. I hate the idea that we would have to take tests at all, and I think in our day, the idea that God, who is all knowing, would ever test us means that that God must be bad, right? If God doesn't just trust my heart when I say, "Hey, I'm in" or uh, "I'm I'm faithful," then then he just he he's betraying me or some something like that. And yet in this journey of faith, the one thing that that God knows about us that, that, we, are, that we don't know is that our faith and our self-deception, like we, we have a very high capacity for self-deception. And while I say I don't like tests, the reality is I want to live in a world where People are tested. I don't want to have surgery and hear that the surgeon has never been tested, right? That he walks in for the surgery and goes, man, this is going to be exciting. This is the first time I've ever done one of these operations in person, but trust me, I've read all the books, I've watched the videos, I know I know the tools. Uh, just trust me, right. Or that no one has to take a driver's test. Just get behind the wheel. You're good to go. You said you knew how to drive. And and so we want, we want there to be some assurance that we know that we have accomplished. We have some level of mastery over the information. We want that in real life. And yet when it comes to God, who knows whether we'll pass or fail all tests, then why is it that he still tests us? And I think the answer is that God wants to experience, walk with us in our lives where our faith gets tested so that our faith can be strengthened. In other words, the test isn't to make us fail and weaken us. The test isn't to ruin us. That's why the enemy would test us or tempt us. In other words, when our enemy tempts us, it is to ruin us. When God tests us, it is to strengthen us. Let me say that again. When our enemy tempts us, it is to ruin us. When we give in to that temptation, we experience failure and it destroys us. But when God tests us, the test strengthens our faith. And so the motivation of God is that he loves us as a father loves his children and wants our faith not only to be strengthened, but it wants our faith to withstand a journey a journey where there is lots of conflict, where the conditions are hostile, where we will suffer in this life and we need a faith that is strong enough to get to the end. And yet despite all that, when I look at this test, I can tell you flat out that I would fail it in a minute, that I would tell God no, And so there is something about the narrative that wants more from me than moralizing this story. It wants to suck us into this narrative to capture the excruciating pain that Abraham is in and to also recognize that Isaac is not just a little baby, that Isaac is probably a young man at this time. And so take your son, your only son, whom you love. God knows everything about his affection for his son, his commitment to his son. He knows the cost of what he's asking him to do. Verse 3, early the next morning, Abram got up and he loaded his donkey and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac, when he cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. And he said to the servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there and we will worship and then we will come back to you. And we, we have this picture of preparation that takes place, and you can imagine what's going through Abraham's mind. He's in on what's happening. The servants don't know, and Isaac doesn't know. There is the preparation of the loading, the packing, the preparation of wood, similar to the first leaving in chapter 12 when he's preparing to leave uh, Ur, and go to the land that God will show him. Now he's preparing to leave again, and there's three days' journey where he's contemplating and he's thinking and he's wondering how in the world can God's promises on one hand that I will will become a great nation and through my offspring, all the nations of the world will be blessed, and that I will inherit this land and we will become a great nation And yet this this request, this action that I have to sacrifice, how can these things exist, God? And he's mulling this over in his mind as he walks and he prepares. And then he finally gets to the place and he looks up and he sees, and this is the mountain, and he knows that they're finally there. And so he takes, in verse 6, the wood, for the burnt offering and he places it on his son Isaac and he himself carries the fire and the knife and the two of them begin to go on together and Isaac speaks up and says, Father, you can almost hear the silence between them as they walk up this mountain. Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac is young, but he's not that young and he's putting together that something doesn't make sense here. And Abraham is walking, and he doesn't have the heart to tell him he himself is confused. He doesn't know exactly what's he's being asked to do. He has the instruction, but he doesn't know the meaning and he doesn't know the purpose. And he tells him, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. There is this intimate dialogue between Abraham and Isaac in this moment. It's a moment where the son is full of anticipation and expectation. And the father is full of fear and questioning, and yet he can't express that. And so what he expresses is the only thing that he can come up with, which is the only thing that his faith can cling to, is that somehow, in the midst of all of this, God will somehow provide for us. God will somehow provide for us. Again, I don't think this story is for us to moralize or to directly apply to our lives, but I do know that there are these moments where God invites us into this wandering place where we are walking by faith but we don't necessarily understand, right? We're being asked to give up something, we're being asked to let go of something, we're being asked to sacrifice something we may be doing that uh, intentionally. In other words, we believe God has told us to let go of this habit or leave this job or whatever it is. Or maybe we've just lost something from health to money to whatever. And yet we're walking by faith. We're trying to trust God with it in the midst of it. But there seems to be only silence only the journey, only questions. That's part of our faith journey. That's part of our test. And what do we do on that long journey, on that uphill climb, where we have the promises of God, and yet we also find ourselves in that barren space of sacrifice, where God hasn't shown up and we don't understand and we have way more questions than we have answers and we're being asked to trust and to keep walking. What do we do there? What do we trust there? And for Abraham, he went back to God, that God himself somehow, some way, is going to provide a lamb. And the two of them went on together. Verse 9, when they reached the place that God had told them about, Abram built an altar there, and he arranged the wood on it, and he bound his son Isaac, and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And at this point, you don't know if you're more blown away by Abraham's faith and his ability to do this or Isaac's faith because If he's 12 or 13, he can push this old hundred year old man over. And then, as he binds him and lays him on the altar on top of the wood, he reaches out his hand and he takes his knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord calls out to him from heaven Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, and do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withhold, withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide To this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. And the angel of the Lord called from Abraham from heaven a second time, and he said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Now, we come to this conclusion, right? And it is high drama. This picture of Abraham with his knife above his son getting ready to slay him, and I think most of us would say, yeah, I would be out at that point. Like, I would have failed this test easily. But the point of this test isn't so much that that Abram was willing, but it was that God provided the ram. You may have heard this preached before a number of ways, and we always ask the question, where is Jesus in this text? And we can find people saying, well, Isaac is the Jesus picture in this text because the wood is put on his shoulders and he's laid on the altar. But if Israel is reading this story as it was written to them, then Israel understands themselves in this story is Isaac. If Isaac dies, Israel doesn't exist. And so the point of this story is that God provides for Israel. God saves by rescuing Israel. God provides the ram who will save Israel. And what comes of this story is the sacrifice of the firstborn, that all firstborn in Israel belong to the Lord, and a sacrifice is made when the firstborn child is is born and dedicated to God, then for the history of Israel, a sacrifice is made on their behalf. And as we look at this text and we think of Abraham and Isaac in this moment, again, the point isn't that you and I are experiencing something like Abraham did. The point for you and I is that God didn't require Isaac to be killed. That God intervened and said, Abraham, stop. I know that you love me. I know that you believe in me. I will not require that. I will provide the ram. The point is that the God that we have will always provide for us. Thousands of years later, there is a story of another father and another son and another hill. Only this time, as the son is being sacrificed, the father doesn't withhold his hand. But the book of Isaiah says that he was pleased to crush him so that by his stripes we would be healed. That the Father God would give his only son, the son whom he loved, so that you and I would not have to die and could be forgiven. There is a greater Abraham, and that is our Father in heaven. And there is a greater Isaac, and that is our Savior Jesus, who, when he was bound onto a cross, nailed to it, God did not spare him, but sacrificed him so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be set free. God provided the sacrifice so that you and I could be set free. Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says this, What shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him, Jesus, graciously, give us all things. Do you see what's happening here? See, for you and I, brothers and sisters, when we are on this journey of faith going through our tests, our test is not Abraham's test. Our test is to look to Jesus who was not spared but was given up for us. And to realize that the God who gave up his son in love for you will give you everything, right? If he didn't spare his son, he will graciously give you all things. And when you and I are walking through those dark nights on those long journeys, in those nights of question and nights of challenge and dark nights of testing, Our faith is not that we would be like Abraham. Our faith is that we are trusting in the Lord who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. And that that Lord who provided the ram for Abraham and the son for you and I will graciously give us all things for our journey as well. We will pass our tests too because Jesus gave himself up for us. And so when we talk about our journey of faith, there there are some great lessons from Abraham, for sure. But you and I are not invited to believe like Abraham. We are invited to believe in Jesus. And as we believe in Jesus and we walk by faith, we're gonna have tests, we're gonna have challenges, and we're gonna make sacrifices. But our hope and the thing that we cling to is that the God that we are believing in, that we are banking in, that we are trusting in, that we are following is the God who gave up his one and only beloved son, so that whoever believes in him might become sons and daughters of God, right? See what I'm saying here? It's not only that we would just believe that we would become a son and daughter too, that he would be our father, and that as we journey, we trust that he gave up his son, he will give us whatever we need so that we continue to walk by faith and not by sight. Wherever you are today, here's what I want to tell you. God will provide for you. You say, Rick, you don't understand. We don't have enough money this month. I'm telling you, God will provide for you. Say, I don't have hope right now. I'm telling you, God did not spare his own son. He is not going to hold back hope. He will provide for you. Keep walking. Keep walking, brothers and sisters. Let's believe together that God, who was willing to give up his son, man, if he was willing to that, do that, he is going to give you joy. He is going to give you hope. He is going to provide all things that we need. Paul was so convinced of it that he said, we are more than conquerors over anything that comes at us. We walk by faith and not by sight, but we walk confident, even in that dark night, believing that, the one who did not spare his own son will give us graciously all things, all things, right? And so today, brothers and sisters, as we wrap up this part of Genesis, sojourning, walking by faith, I wanna encourage you, wherever you are today, the invitation from God to us today is to believe, to believe, no matter what your trial or what your test, that the God who has provided Jesus will continue to provide for you in this moment so that you will pass the test and he will graciously give you everything you need for this moment. Amen.